You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. We're continuing a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? You've probably caught on by the intro song and the intro video. This is about Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And I've said every week, he's someone who I really looked up to, someone I admired as a child, and even today, just really admire his ability to connect with people and to really care for people at a deep level. And one of the things that he would always ask in his song every week, you just heard it, won't you be my neighbor? And we're exploring this idea and we're having a conversation on race and racism and talking about who is our neighbor. The first week we put the question out there and asked the question very much like Jesus told a story as someone approached him and asked him, well, who is my neighbor? Basically, there are two important things as Christ followers or people who are following after God had to obey, to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the follow-up question then is, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus, being the master of stories that he is, tells a parable, tells a story about someone who needed some love, needed some care, and who had been someone at that time culturally who would have been looked down upon, who was seen as less than. But Jesus is really communicating something important, that someone is our neighbor even if we don't necessarily like them, even if we might necessarily not agree with them. They're still our neighbor, somebody who God created in his image, that they have worth, they have value as God's creation. And so they're our neighbor and should be someone that we show love to, someone we show respect and care to. And so we asked that question and really the first week really landed on that we've got to start with us. I've got to start with me. So when we start this discussion on race and racism and everything going on in our culture and society, more than trying to say anything else, more than trying to prove a point, I've got to start with me. I've got to check my heart. I've got to deal with the shadow racism in my heart, in my motives, in my actions. We've got to start there with us. We ended that week by talking about that we've got to talk less and listen more. And we did that in week two. We met with Pastor Justin Morell and we sat down and we had an honest conversation about race and racism. We sat down and we asked some questions and hopefully there were some questions in there that maybe you yourself hadn't had an opportunity to ask someone to. And so thankful for Pastor Justin's friendship, so thankful for his willingness and his honesty to sit down and be a voice for us and to help us learn and maybe open our eyes a little bit to what's happening in our culture and our world around us. See, our experiences shape us and many of us based on the color of our skin or our socioeconomical background or where we've grown up, we we see the world through a little bit different lens. And so it's important to sit down with people with a varying and different view than our own to learn from them. So that's where we landed in week two. And then finally, last week, we talked about taking action, recognizing that there is so much brokenness in the world and that God wants to bring reconciliation. He wants to bring healing. He doesn't want there to be division. And so once again, it comes down to us as Christ followers that we've got to start by taking action by first humbling ourselves. And then we've got to pray and invite God into the situation with the idea that no matter what laws are passed, no matter what is legislated, no matter what is out there in the culture and being said, the only solution to the problem is Jesus. That we've got to invite God into the situation, that we've got to pray and ask Him to come. And then we've got to repent, which really truly means a change of heart. Asking for forgiveness, but yes, there being some change in our, in our heart and our motives and our actions. And then God giving us his word that if we would do those things, that he will show up and he will heal our land. But the action starts with us as Christ followers. 
This week we're going to continue and we're going to wrap up the series this week and we're going to talk about civility. And we're going to talk about the loss of civility, not only with this topic, with so many things in our culture, in our world today. This week I was reading the FBI's report from 2018 on incidents involving hate crimes and hate speech. It's some pretty heavy reading, and 2018 is the most recent one. It takes them a little while to get those reports out because there are so many reports of it every single year. But in 2018, the most recent report, there are over 7,000 incidents, over 7,000 incidences in one year, year in the United States of hate crimes, of hate speech. That almost seems impossible, right? That there could be almost 20 every single day. Not even just someone using a slur, but something that's considered a crime. Something that's punishable by law. And so when we see that and we hear that, we see that over 5,000 of them alone are based on race, race or ethnicity or based on someone's heritage. We see that there really is still an issue in our culture, in our world, in our society, right here in the United States when it comes to race and racism. And so it's really easy to see that, yeah, there are a lot of not good things going on in our world. And what we're trying to unpack in this series is what our response is as Christ followers. When you you read that and you see that, you've got to understand the importance of us having this conversation. No matter how much you've seen, no matter how much you've heard or you've been trying to learn, we can all agree that there's something that we can learn, something that we've got to do. We've got to have this conversation. And the hard thing about having a conversation in this day and age is truly due to the lack of civility. Well, what does that mean? People have lost the ability to be civil with each other. It's all about going for people's throat. It's like going for the kill. It's be right at any cost. It doesn't matter who we hurt. It doesn't matter who we take down. It doesn't matter what, who we make pay the price. We're going to do anything that in our power as a culture, as a society, and as individuals to be right. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what does this look like us for us as Christ followers? And really, it's been exaggerated by social media. It all comes down to the lowest common denominator. It's not even just trying to be right, but it's attacking people's character. It's attacking people at the core of who they are. See, in a recent Barna survey, they surveyed and they asked people if they thought racism was getting better or if it was getting worse. And without a doubt, in every category, when they asked white people, when they asked black people, Hispanics or other minorities in our country, every single one, every category all said that it was getting worse. Those were the highest numbers in the survey. They were saying that it's getting worse in our world, that it's not going down, that it's not getting better, that it's not getting the same. Those numbers were there, but by and large, the largest number of people all said that racism is getting worse in the world. And see, when we hear this and we hear about the hate crimes and the things going on, the hate speech, we might say, well, I wouldn't go online and say something that the FBI would consider hate speech. But if you were just to maybe replace the word speech and say something that we're not innocent in this, but maybe instead of the word hate, it's the word snarky, or it's saying something that might be cutting or, or testy or, or critical or insulting or rude or mean spirit or cruel or demeaning or even dismissive. See, what is it that our words are saying? And this is so important for us to get as Christ followers because the internet and social media have become such a cultural street fight in our world today. Matter of fact, it's gotten so bad online in recent years that we've actually had to come up for new words for it. Maybe you've heard of someone who they call a troll or they call trolling. What does that mean? That's just basically someone who goes online and they're not trying to be a part of the solution. They're not trying to make things better. They're just there to say incendiary things 
to start flame wars and try to get an emotional response out of people. Basically, they're there just to throw gasoline on the fire and watch it burn, and they're entertained by it. This has become so pervasive in our culture, in our world, and social media today that people are not trying to be a part of the solution. They're not trying to be a benefit to society. They're not trying to improve and help people along in the situation. We just simply want to be right, or we simply just want to throw stones, or when people are down, we just decide that we're going to kick them online. I don't know what it is about the internet that's really allowed the people to do that. Maybe it's some of the anonymity that people feel. Some of the things that people would never say face-to-face from someone else, but when you're behind the keyboard, you're sitting there on your phone, it's just easy to simply to throw out those comments. Something that people would never say to someone to their face, for some reason, becomes so easy and so accessible to do it online. I don't know if it's because people are dehumanized in that way. There's probably so many reasons that go into it and why the internet has become such a difficult thing. But the truth is, is that we as a society, we as a culture, we take shots at everybody and anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. Matter of fact, even people we should be caring about are people that we will take shots at. We even saw this happen in a few um, few months ago. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Eddie Murphy, someone who was an SNL cast member years ago, uh, six months ago at the Christmas end of the year, he, he hosted for the first time in 35 years. 35 years from the time he left the show to when he came back on to host. And there was so much speculation on why it was it took him so long to come back on the show. And a little bit of history for him is that he came on the cast in 1980 at the ripe old age of 19 years old. Can you imagine? As a teenager shows up. And see, he came on after the period where the original cast had left. Chevy Chase and all those guys, the people who really made the show a big deal, they they were all gone. John Belushi, they, they all had left the show and they were not doing so well. Matter of fact, critics at the time stopped calling it Saturday Night Live and started calling it Saturday Night Dead. I mean, the ratings were flat, the show wasn't doing well, and then Eddie Murphy shows up and he lights it up. He just takes the show to a whole nother level. The ratings go through the roof. He was there for four short years, but totally revolutionized the show, totally made it what it is, probably even to this day. And it launched him into a career where he started making all kinds of movies, Beverly Hill Cop. Some of you probably know some famous Eddie Murphy movies, probably laugh and quote a few lines. It really propelled his career and his stardom. And see, a little bit later in his career, in the mid-90s, he was kind of coming into a slump and something happened on SNL. See, there was a sketch that was going on and someone was teaching the, they were pretending they were a teacher, teaching students in a silly way, and one of them holds up, one of the cast members holds up a picture of Eddie Murphy. And they're like, look kids, it's a falling star, make a wish. And see, that was something that really hurt Eddie Murphy. See, he would like to say that, hey, guys, I- I'm, I'm one of you. And it's one thing to like take a shot at my movie or my acting, but to take take shot at my career and me personally, I mean, I- I'm one of you. I, I should be someone who-, who who's not being treated this way. And so it was a long time and there was some reconciliation. And he he dealt with that, but it took 35 years for him to come back. Why? Because words matter. Words matter. And friends, the truth is, is that we as Christ followers, we are not immune from this. We are not immune from throwing stones. We're not immune from being mean or cruel to people that we should be protecting, people that should be on our side. See, we can cut down people just like the best of them. Even as a Christ follower, it's something that we can do. There was a Christianity Today article some time back, and it was really amazing as the author began to dive into the loss of civility that was happening in our nation. But even 
more importantly, within the church and within Christianity and Christians themselves. The author David Aikman noted to the extent to which certain Christians have turned themselves into, quote, self-appointed attack dogs of Christendom. They seem determined to savage not only opponents of Christianity, but also fellow believers of who doctrinal positions they disapprove. A stroll through the internet reveals websites so drenched in sarcasm and animosity that an agnostic or a follower of another faith tradition interested in what it means to become Christian might be permanently disillusioned. And he's right. It's so sad to see Christ followers attacking other people of the faith just because they disagree with their doctrinal stance or that they disagree with their theology or or they don't necessarily agree with their expression of worship or whatever the reason is. Instead of having each other's back and showing unity, it's really become a place where people just tear each other down. And see, anyone who's a Christian or even if they're not a Christian, they can give themselves over to snarky tweets and Facebook posts and blogs and being negative and tearing each other down instead of lifting each other up. And see, when we disagree, we can just have such a mean edge. We can be so cynical. And see, we, we see we can't make a point until we make a point to really tear someone down. And then we can't make our point without having an arrow directly pointed at the person's heart or assassinating their character. And we see it over and over again, not only in the secular world, but even within the church with other Christ followers, people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We think that if we're angry that we have a right to be rude. Or maybe like your small children, you'll simply say, well, they started it. And so we think that we have the opportunity to to be mean. See, what's really happening, what we really truly live in today is what many will say is a culture of offense. And matter of fact, the author John Bevere in his book calls it the bait of Satan. He calls offense the bait of Satan. That's a pretty big statement, but it really is true because, see, offense is really a trap. And offense is something that we choose to take on. And even if it's something that really could show itself to be offensive, our action and reaction in that moment is something that we choose. And being offended is a trap. We choose and it leads to anger. It leads to hatred and outrage and resistance and bitterness and see those lead to simply insults attacks wounding division and ultimately broken relationships offense never lead to something good they never lead to healing and restoration they lead to tearing down and harsh words And see, we wonder why in our culture, in our society today, why we're dealing with such a heightened level of understanding of racism that's going on in our world today. And all the attitudes that have happened. And see, we have to understand is that we have cultivated the soil for this. With a culture of offense, with simply being negative, with tearing people down, we've allowed this to flourish. And so friends, what we've really got to do is we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is our response as Christ followers? This is the heart of what we've been trying to get to for all these weeks. This is the, the fourth week we've been unpacking this and really the idea and the understanding what we want to come to is as a Christ follower, if you have said yes to a relationship with Jesus, what is our response? Not trying to fix the world, not trying to show that everyone's right or wrong or wherever they stand on the issues. It's simply saying, what is my response? What 
does God require of me? What is my heart's desire as a Christ follower that not I have to, but how can I please Jesus? See, when we sing songs of worship to him and we bring praise to him or we go to church on Sunday to worship God, it's not just simply about singing. It's not simply about giving. It's not simply about serving. Those are all different ways that we worship. But see, it's about our actions, our attitudes. And we say, this is my act of worship, how I am living my life, how I interact with others, how I treat people I disagree with. That is truly an act of worship. And if you want me to get real with you, sometimes that can be a lot harder than standing in a service and singing a song or slipping our hand up in praise. Sometimes the sacrifice of praise is even greater than a song or giving in an offering. It's simply choosing to deny ourself and our flesh and desire to prove someone wrong so that we can be right. Friends, that has got to be our act of worship. So how do we clean this up on our end? When we see everything going on in the world, how, how do we deal with this? And see, we've said this, that the hope of the world is the church. And last week, we unpacked the idea that the only solution is Jesus. That words aren't going to change it. Laws aren't going to fix it. That simply opinions and putting them out there and even fancy ways aren't going to change the heart of men. The world is so dark that we need Jesus. So as Christ followers, how do we do this? See, Jesus himself said that people will know that we are his followers. You ready for this? By the way that we love one another. Wait a minute, so it's not by the way that we are show people that we are right and they're wrong? No, no, no. See, Jesus said that people will know that you are my followers, not because you've got everything figured out, not because you've got all the solutions, not because you can fix everything that's wrong in the world and show everyone else how they're wrong and you're right. No, Jesus said that people will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. See, our need to be right must always be trumped by our capacity for love. That's so important. You can either pause the video and rewind it. I'll just say it for you one more time. Our need to be right must always be trumped by our capacity to love. Friends, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus, that this faith is worthwhile of being invested into and giving our life to by the way that we love one another. The world is broken. Whether it's race and racism, what we've been talking about and unpacking the last couple of weeks, or so many other things that are broken in the world right now that just don't have as loud of a voice, we can say without doubt, without question, the world is broken. The world is hurting. But here's the good news. Friends, we as Christ followers, we have something to offer the world. We have something to offer the world that it can't manufacture, that it can't do on its own. We have something to show and prove to the world that we as Christ followers can live our life in such a different and attractive way that they can say from the outside looking in, what is it? What's different about those Christ followers? What's different about them? And I don't know that I have all the answers or I necessarily even believe there's a God, but I, I can't put my thumb on it, but there's just something different in the way they interact. There's something different in the reaction, the way they treat each other and how they engage each other and how they even treat and speak about one another online. See, the world is broken and we do have something to offer, but we've got to start with our words. And there are power in our words. Words are absolutely powerful. 
We see this several times in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and it's really wisdom literature. And there's all kinds of wisdom sayings in the book of Proverbs that tell us things about being wise. Because as Christ followers, as people who are following after God, we really should strive for wisdom. We should pray for wisdom. We should live wise lives. And one of the ways we can do that is jumping into the book of Proverbs and learning some of these things. And it has a lot to say about words. Matter of fact, Proverbs Proverbs 18.21 says this, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. That's pretty intense. They're either, they're either poison or they're fruit. They're not neutral. They either give life or they kill. There's really not a whole lot of middle ground when it comes to words. And we have to choose what we're going to do. Are our words going to bring life to the situation or are they going to bring death? I mean, that's pretty big polar opposites that's saying that word can be either poison or it can be fruit. There's not really a lot of in between there. We can choose what our words are going to be. Are our words going to be life-giving to others? Are our gonna, words going to bring life to a situation? Are they going to bring division? Are they going to bring hatred and, and anger? A few more Proverbs to take a look at that talk about our words and wisdom. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. I love that. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Oh, friends, there's so much we can learn from that. A gentle answer deflects anger. Oh, man, we could just soak in that for the rest of the time today and talk about that. But the word, but the words make, but harsh words make tempers flare. How do we respond to harsh words? Do we respond to them in a harsh way? Or do we have a gentle answer that deflects that anger? And finally, Proverbs 15, 4 says this, Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Friends, do we use kind words that bring healing to a situation? Or are we using cutting, snarky words that just simply bring division, that wound other people, that maim other people? See, there is power in words. The words that we use, the words that we use in conversation, the words that we use on social media and our responses and our tweets and our Instagram on Facebook and our comments, those words have power. And we have the power to choose which words we're going to use. And if you really look at these Proverbs, the words just really pretty much follow into two categories. They they either fall into the cutting and harsh or wise, gentle and kind. See, both hold power and we have to ask ourselves the question, Which is the way to go? Which is the way to go when we talk about which words that we're supposed to use? And really have to ask yourself this question. What is your end game? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? What is the end game that you're trying to get? Are you trying to bring healing? Are you trying to be positive? Are you trying to help people out? Do you care deeply for people? Are you simply trying to bring division? Are you just trying to be right? What is the end game? And even beyond our end game, what is the end game that Jesus, who we're supposed to be following and living our lives for, what does he desire from us? See, friends, sometimes we've got to pause before we comment. We've got to pause before we tweet. We've got to pause before we hit that send button. Sometimes we've got to pause and back up and ask ourselves, what is the end game? What are we trying to achieve? 
This is exactly what the Apostle Paul described in his target to the letter. This is what he was trying to say. This is the target on the wall to reach to his church in Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians 4. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Wow. That's a tall order to stand up to. Let all the words that we use be an encouragement to others. Everyone who hears them, let them be good and helpful. Not trying to prove people wrong, not trying to be right, not trying to throw people under the bus or attack their character or tell them and call them every certain thing and how they're wrong and how many different shades of color. We simply want our words to be good and helpful to everyone who hears them. So how can we bring a little bit of civility to the table? How can we do this as Christ followers? What what are some filters that we can put in place right now to begin to ask ourselves to bring some civility back to the discussion? The first one is this. Is what I'm going to say true? Is what I'm going to say to be going to be true? It's got to pass the truth test if you're going to say it. Is it something that's true that you know for sure is true? Or is it hearsay? Is it something second or third hand? Or is it simply a stereotype that's not going to be truthful? If it's not truthful and you don't know that it's true, then don't say it. It seems really simple, but we've got to start there. We've got to start by speaking the truth. The second thing we've got to ask ourselves is, is it helpful? Because even if it's true, is it helpful to say in the moment? I know some things that are true that could simply mow people over in the moment, that could take them out. Is it helpful? Is what we're trying to say in the moment, even is it true, is it helpful to the conversation? Is it helping somebody else come along? Is it helpful? We've got to ask ourselves that question. The third filter is this, is what I'm going to say personal. See, sometimes an online forum, social media, is not the place for the conversation. I've seen this time and time again. And friends, newsflash, we are not going to change the world. We're not going to change people's thoughts, opinions, theology, their viewpoint on the world simply through a social media argument. I don't know anybody who said, huh, you know what? My view was really changed by this social media fight that just happened in front of me. No one says that. Is it a personal conversation that should happen? and private. Maybe someone's trying to engage you and wants to fight you online. Simply say, you know what? I want to have this conversation in private. Is this something we can talk about offline? And if they keep pursuing you and keep fighting you and want to do it, just do what Jesus would do. Unfriend them and block them, right? See, simply sometimes we've got to have the conversation in person. This is something I learned the hard way. Years ago, when I was new to social media, I got into a really heated topic with somebody online, on social media, and it was not the place to have the conversation. I ended up having to delete the post, delete all the comments, apologize to some key people in the situation, and learned a lesson that sometimes some conversations just got to happen in person. So is it true? Is it helpful? Is it personal? And the last filter, probably the most important one is this, is what I'm going to say, loving 
Now, friends, that should go without saying because we really shouldn't need the other filters. But see, is it loving really even speaks to how we're going to say it? Is what we're going to say true? Is it helpful? Is it something personal? And then is it loving? Do I truly care about the person that I'm speaking to? Am I willing to offer them grace? Am I going to show them the benefit of the doubt? Am I going to offer them grace and then some more grace on top of that and simply say that I love you and care about you? I'm not trying to be right. I'm not trying to shove your face in the dirt. I'm not trying to make a point out of this, but because of the love that I have for you, I'm willing to say and have these difficult conversations. Friends, we've got to come through those filters. And see, civility is something that is practiced. It's something that takes time and takes work that we've got to put in and learn these filters. And even like me, maybe you've had to delete a few posts. Maybe you've had to go back and apologize sometime and take a conversation offline. Sometimes it just takes some practice to practice that civility and put it in place. Several months ago, there was actually a beautiful picture of this that played out on the internet, played out on television. See, Jason Hackett and Alex Housden, they were co-anchors on the morning news show Channel 5 in Oklahoma City. And see, they were doing a um, segment on the zoo. And in this segment, there was a baby gorilla that was playing with the camera, and it was really cute. And see, Hackett is black, and Housden is white, and take a listen to what happened at the end of the segment. Okay, you have to see this. This is Finn. We're about to show... Oh, my goodness. Take a look at him. He's a resident of the Oklahoma City Zoo. And this week, the zoo's eighth caretaker took over their Instagram. And we are all loving that they did. Now, as you can see, Finn was fascinated. Definitely ready for his close-up. Kind of looks like you. What do you see the picture? Uh, it probably does, actually. Yeah. You heard her right. She called her co-anchor a gorilla said she, he looked like a gorilla. And see, why that is so painful is it's a, a slur really rooted comparing black people or those from Africa with monkeys or, or gorillas or, or apes, and it's so entrenched in the history of racism in our nation. And it's something very hurtful. And you can imagine that when this happened, viewers were outraged. That people were calling for her head and calling for her to be fired. And social media, as you can imagine, just erupted with a gamut of people who were just outraged and were shocked to the trolls showing up and they were just adding fuel to the racism fire. But something amazing happened the next day. The next day they showed up on television to address the situation themselves. Take a look. I'm here this morning because I want to apologize not only to my co-anchor, Jason, but to our entire community. I said something yesterday that was inconsiderate, it was inappropriate, and I hurt people. And I want you to know I understand how much I hurt you out there and how much I hurt you. I love you so much, and you have been one of my best friends for the past year and a half, and I would never do anything on purpose to hurt you. And I love our community, and I want you all to know, from the bottom of my heart, I apologize for what I said. I know it was wrong, and I am so sorry. Well, Alex, thank you very much, and, and I, I do accept your apology, and I, I do appreciate your apology. Um, I want to let everybody out there know that Alex... 
um, is one of my best friends. I mean, we do what we do here, and, and you know, it's not as if we see each other here and then we leave and we go home. We talk every day, or almost every other day. Um, I've told you things. I, I've, I've shared things with you as a friend, and I, I do appreciate you, and I do love you. Um, all that being said, uh, and Alex would be the first to admit to this to you, what she said yesterday was wrong. Um, it cut deep for me, and it cut deep for a lot of you in the community. I've heard the, the phone calls, and I've heard the Facebook messages as well. And, and, and I guess coming out of this, I want this to be a teachable moment. And that, that lesson here is that words, words matter. There's no doubt about that. Um, changing demographics here in this country, the demographics are changing. We're becoming a more diverse country, and, and there's no excuse. We have to understand uh, the stereotypes. We have to understand uh, each other's backgrounds and the words uh, that hurt, the words that cut deep. And we have to uh, find a way to replace those words with love and words of affirmation um, as well. Um, you know, what we do here as broadcasters, uh, we use words. Words are the, the tools of our trade. Much like a, you know, a plumber would use a wrench or a doctor would use a scalpel, we use words. And, and our goal and what we need to do is use those words not, not to hurt and not to divide, uh, but to build a more perfect union. And uh, this is going to be a journey for us. We're learning things here. And uh, we at KOCO5 hope that you join us along on this journey. Thank you guys very much. See friends, that was a class act. That was dealing with something in the right way. And see, this really is the key to rec rec reconciliation, to racial reconciliation happens when people of all races, people who are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter what race or nationality, when we begin to relate to each other as humans, then we can begin to move the ball forward when it comes to racial reconciliation in our culture, in our world, in our nation. See, we've got to get to know one another. We've got to understand one another. We've got to listen to each other's stories and hear each other out and understand our poor different points of view. We've got to talk to one another and we've really got to forgive one another. And finally, we've got to use civility and we've got to offer grace to other people. See, there is no conversation you can't have with someone if you are being truthful if it is helpful and you are being personal and most importantly, if you are being loving. So you can have any and every kind of conversation and it will bring about healing. It will bring resolution and it will help. But we've got to use these filters. As we wrap up today, you might say, but Brian, the world is so dark. The world is so broken. It seems like there's really no hope for reconciliation. I look around at all the craziness and I look at the news cycle and I look at the explosion on social media and the way that people treat each other and mow each other down and have no civility or respect for even basic human level of caring about people. And you're right. The world is dark. The world is broken. Friends, the world needs Jesus. And this is why we've got to start with us. To circle around all the way back to the first week to where we've started. Friends, we've got to start with us and we've got to start as Christ followers. The world needs Jesus. And we have the opportunity as Christ followers to offer something to the world that the world doesn't have. 
and that the world can't manufacture. See, friends, we have an opportunity to be the hope of the world, to model what it means to love one another, to model what it means, what Jesus said in his words, that you will, they will know you are my followers by the way that you love. But friends, our need to be right must always be trumped by our capacity for love. We have to check our hearts and our motives. Do we truly love each other? Do we truly love God's creation and other people? Or do we simply want to be right? Friends, there is too much at stake. And there are too many people who are far from God for us to get this wrong. We have got to start with us. We've got to show compassion and love to other people. This is why it's so important for not only the Capital C Church and the church globally across the world, but even for us as Treeline and our mission and our vision. Yeah, we're a new church. We're a young church. We haven't even had our second birthday yet. And then this pandemic hits and we don't know what's going on. And we're not meeting in person. Everything's been online for the last couple of months. And man, this is all kind of weird and strange. But here's the thing that is true in all of this. The mission and the vision has not changed. That God has still called us. That he has still given us a vision. That he has still given us a mission. That he has still called us to the greater Pittsburgh area to be a light in the darkness. That there are so many people. And that's why we start this church. There are so many people who need Jesus, who need this message of reconciliation, who need a community of faith of people that are going to love each other, that are going to think the best of each other, that are going to put each other first, who are going to simply say, I love you because of the love that God has for me, and I forgive you because God first forgave me. Friends, we have the opportunity to be that as Treeline Church. I want to challenge you to be that, to use these filters you engage online, to check your hearts and motives. Even if you're not a part of Treeline, if you were a Christ follower, you were a part of God's family, you've got to check yourself and how you're interacting. We have an opportunity to offer something to the world that the world does not have. We can model what a community of faith looks like, regardless of the color of someone's skin, their identity, where they grew up, their socioeconomic background, no matter what, we have an opportunity to model what the family of God looks like, the body of Christ, the unity that God has called us to. Will you join us in that challenge? Heavenly Father, I just come before you today in your mighty name, Jesus, and I thank you. God, that even though the past couple of weeks in this conversation, it may have been uncomfortable, it may have challenged, maybe it's changed some people's paradigm, has really caused them to question or inspect their hearts. God, I pray that you would be at the center of it all. And God, I pray this week that we truly would have this message just come alive in our heart, God, that our desire and our need to be right, Father, would pale in comparison for the capacity that we have for love for others. God, let us be known as Christ followers. Let us be known as a church that is simply known for our love for one another. God, that we don't have all the answers, that we're imperfect people, that we're messed up, that we've got issues like everyone else, but God, simply to be known by the way that we love and treat one another. God, I thank you that that's what you have called us to be to this community. God, I thank you for this series. I thank you for these difficult conversations. God, I thank you for what you've even been doing in my own heart over the past couple of weeks. 
God, I pray that this conversation wouldn't end with this series, but God, that you would truly call us to be a church that embraces people, that loves people, no matter what. God, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, as we conclude today, I just want to give you the opportunity to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. See, as I talked about that, we are the family of God. You've simply got to simply say a yes to relationship with him. That if you've never done that, that you have the opportunity, and I would encourage you to not wait. It's easy to say that someday I'll take care of that, and someday I'll deal with it, and maybe I'll get through these God questions and see how I really feel. But the Bible just spells it out to us and says that today is a day of salvation. Don't wait because no man has promised tomorrow. So friends, I wouldn't give you the chance, the opportunity to say yes to relationship with him. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you felt betrayed. Maybe you've seen some people who wore the label Christian and they said some really hurtful and demeaning things and you couldn't understand or reconcile how a loving God would allow people to act like that, let alone ones who are bearing his name. And I want to say I'm sorry for the way you were treated. I'm sorry for the way people disrespected you or the sorry for the way that people maybe misrepresented God. But we are all people. We are all humans. We're imperfect. We're going to make mistakes. But don't make this mistake. God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And the plan that he has for you is so much greater than anything you could ever imagine on your own. You simply have to invite him into your heart and surrender your life and will to him. So if that's you today, I just want to invite you to repeat this simple prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my mistakes. Come into my heart. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you said that simple prayer, we believe that they are throwing a party in heaven on your behalf. The Bible says that when even one person comes to a relationship with the Father, all of heaven is rejoicing. So if you would just simply text the word rejoice to 97000, we just want to come alongside of you and make some next steps because it's not just simply about praying a prayer and making that first step. That's a great step, but it's about becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus. And we want to come alongside of you and help you make those next steps. Matter of fact, if you said that prayer today or you said that prayer months ago or years ago or even as a child and you need to make make some next steps in your journey. Maybe you need to be water baptized or you need to get into the Bible more and and pray or get a part of a small group or serve whatever it is. We would love to help you in that journey. Don't hesitate to reach out to us. Send us a message on Facebook. Send us a message. Go on the website and find the email. Whatever it takes, just reach out. We want to help you make some next steps to become a lifelong follower after Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today, friends. We're going to finish the series today, starting a brand new one next week. We hope you can join us then. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.